This is the Bea Guzgan Podcast. One nation, one tribe. This podcast is produced on Treaty 8 territory, the traditional territories of the many First Nation, Métis, and Inuit. We would like to express our gratitude and respect for this land and all those who reside here both past and present. We are all Treaty people. One nation, one tribe. Loretta Ponto English is an Indigenous elder born in the Picani Nation and resides in Grand Prairie, Alberta. With deep roots in her community, Loretta honors traditional ceremonies in many ways, such as through dance, storytelling, and the vital connection and relationship between an elder and the youth. Throughout her life, Loretta has been a leader and advocate, as well as an important mentor to young people, helping to pass on the knowledge and wisdom of her elders to the next generation. She is a true inspiration to all who know her, especially her grandchildren. So it wasn't really a surprise when I asked Brett English, one of our podcast participants, who he would like to interview, and he didn't skip a beat when he responded, my nama. This is Brett English and Dakota Olson's interview with Brett's rock star nama, Loretta Ponto English. Nama, I got some questions for you. Okay, one of my questions is, what is your roles of being an elder? I think my role as being an elder is being a teacher, being able to share the knowledge and understandings of what I have gone through in cultural ways, traditional ways, passing them on to the, uh, like for first and foremost to my children, to my grandchildren, to the people in the community, and probably also to mainstream society. Just have that sharing of understanding of what it is to be an elder and what it is my role as that person that's responsible for being able to share the teachings. So as an elder, you have lots of many, many different teachings and lessons. What are some of your favorites you teach? I think a lot of it is uh, just based on uh, the seven sacred teachings. Uh, When I teach, I want that understanding that uh, the seven sacred teachings come from internal self. And to be able to understand that to give love, you have to love yourself. You know, to give respect, you have to respect yourself. To trust, you have to trust yourself. You know, to have courage, you have to trust in, in all the things that you are, your abilities, your other um, teachings, your innate feelings that you can endure something to gain that courage. So everything starts within the person. And I think that's part of the teachings that is shared, not only in ceremony, but with yourself to be a part of those ceremonies. Okay, I like that. (laughs) What is your favorite thing about the powwows that you go to? The favorite thing is pulling up to a powwow. That's my favorite thing, especially in the evening and at night. As you're pulling into the powwow, all you're smelling is like the campfires, the people that are smudging, you're hearing the drums, and you're hearing the dancers walking around or hearing them dance. Like That's the best feeling I like, is just pulling up to the powwow and hearing everything at once. And just the smell of everything around you, like it just, it just, 
on our set. Like, that's what I like. Um, what's your favorite powwow if you've ever gone to? My favorite powwow that I ever went to? Well, I went to a lot, but the one that's, uh, that always sticks in my mind and I tell stories around it is, uh, when my, uh, boys were little, I would say in 19, in the early 80s, we went to the, uh, powwow on the blood reserve, Kainai Reserve. And again, we're pulling up in the middle of like late evening, pulling up to the powwow. And there was just one road going to where we're going to camp. And there was lots of camps around us and we're driving in. And I always remember it because my children's dad and myself were in the front of the vehicle and all my children were at the back. And those were the days where you could open the back of your camper and open your camp, your back window. And you put like this, almost kind of like this protection around it where you could kind of communicate with each other and not have any exhaust in it. And we're pulling up. And as we're pulling up here, there's two guys walking towards us on the road. And all of a sudden I heard these big bangs in the back, like three big bangs, eh? And I was wondering what was going on. And I kind of turned around to look and hear my boys, three of my boys, jumped on the floor of the truck. <laughs> I told him, what's wrong? And it, and his dad, Jeremiah, kind of picks up his head and he looks at me and he says, look, mom, zombies. These guys were totally intoxicated walking on the road like just like zombies <laughs> they were scared <laughs> we're going into a zombie land or something <laughs> I, that's one of the things that i always remember oh it was so funny the way they did it can you tell us the story about i i love the story that you told me about how you always used to dress up everyone to get ready for the powwow and it didn't matter what their background was <laughs> and so because you said that all of the kids from the community and and like all your your kids friends yeah would be from different cultures and you'd get them ready for the powwow can you yeah. tell tell that story well when we first came here i really wanted to continue to encourage my children to know what dancing was traditional dancing was so i we all started, uh, well, there's three of us that started the Pewapan Native Dance Group at the Friendship Center. And we'd go do performances and there'll be weekends. Like I don't have anything scheduled and I don't know that we're going to be doing anything. And I get a phone call and they say, could you come and, you know, be on the parade and uh, get, you know, all these dancers on the parade. And it's kind of like the last minute thing. And I'm thinking, okay, I can, yeah, I'll be there. I can do that. And I go downstairs and uh, my three boys all have their friends at the house. And some of them are Caucasians, Italians, and indigenous little guys. And I say, okay, you guys, we're going on a parade here. You wear this, you wear this, you wear this. And everybody, they didn't protest or anything. They just all get ready. And then I put them at the back of the truck and then we go to wherever we're supposed to go. And here all these guys are all different, <laughs> all from different <laughs> cultures. I love that. And then we'd go do performances out in uh, Sex Bits. Same thing. All these little guys are 
dancing into the grand entry and they're all different colors. <laughs> and it was funny. We even did the Arctic Winter Games. Some of them came and they joined us in the Arctic Winter Games. It just, it, to me, it was something that they wanted to learn. They weren't excluded. And they were just a part of, like, they come into my home. They're a part of our home, eh? So they're not excluded. So that and they helped out. We all made the parade. We all did a performance. But I think it just, uh, it worked out. Like, it was, for me, it was kind of like, if you want to talk about uh, indigenization, like, that was a start. That was the beginning of indigenization. It's just sharing your culture and not, you know, having any questions about it. You're just sharing it. What was your first job? My first, very first job? Yeah. I think when I was 17 years old, I was in the United States of America. And I was in Yakima, Washington. And I worked at a nursing home. It was called Yakima Ner- Convalescent Nursing Home. And that's where I worked. And that's where I was paid. I never really thought about my pay. I just worked. And my pay got me a place to stay, got me food, it got me what I needed. I never really calculated how much I made because I don't remember and recall the amount I made. But that's where I worked. That was my very first job. And I really enjoyed it because I moved right from the reserve to that community to non-Indigenous community. And when I worked there, it was kind of like an environment that I just adapted to. Like working in that convalescent nursing home, I was probably the only Indigenous person working there. And I just did what I had to do. You know, I was shown to take care of these individuals. And that's exactly what I did. What advice would you give Indigenous youth that are wanting to move off the reserve and somewhere else? Like, what can they, what can they do to like help them get to that kind of stage? I think it uh, depends on where they want to go. Like, uh, like today, I like with my own grandchildren. Like, we live in an urban setting, but I have a granddaughter that moved to Victoria, and she moved like really far away from home. And it's uh, Brett's older sister. And to me, that takes a lot of courage to do. You know, she just moved away from home where where at home she was secure and everything. And then she takes that big jump to do something, you know, that she's, <clears throat> it will be a year in school, like at the university and just taking that risk. And for the uh, individuals that are on the reserve, it's not like the way it was in my baby boomer time. (laughs) (laughs) We just taught before we pressed record what a baby boomer was. It's not like insight. (laughs) So it's not like that. Like uh, in my time, there's like when I worked in that convalescent nursing home, there was limited uh, resources, like Mm -hmm. limited medical resources as we have today like today it's so advanced but years back they didn't have what we have today so there was limitations limited resources in in the medical field in various fields so i think with today's generation they have more of a opportunity and options to uh, be able to leave their communities 
and go and explore different uh, things. I think one of the things is uh, I know today a lot of uh, individuals go and maintain higher education. They go back to the community and there's that almost kind of like that culture change or they can't fit in and they they eventually move. With all the skills they have, sometimes it's hard for them to integrate it into their into their communities. And I think that's my advice is don't give up if you're going back to your community with all those skills and knowledge. Continue to work within your communities and implement what you gained outside, you know, at universities or outside in the workplace and things like that. Bring it back to the community. Don't get let the community you know, or the members influence you to leave. Just stay and be courageous and try to make that positive change. That's what I encourage them to do. I like that. I like that. Uh, how many sweats and powers have you gone to? Jeez, that's kind of like, a, I think, a, you know, I love the question that you had, but then I just realized a lot of listeners might not even know what that is. Yeah. Would you like to explain what a powwow is? I think it's a gathering of uh, uh, different nations that come together, and they there's uh, there's various categories that uh, you have competition powwows, and then you have traditional powwows. Competition powwows are uh, people that go there and they're uh, competing for first, second, third, and fourth, or it's usually up to fourth place. A traditional powwow is different because Every dancer is recognized when they dance. So there's a difference between that. There's no competition. Everybody just goes there to dance. Uh, with traditional uh, powwows, there's a lot of ceremonies that are being done in traditional powwows. And also in uh, competition powwows, they have uh, people or families that will do uh, specials. In Bikani, we had... Uh, our family has done several specials. We've done naming. We've done uh, recognitions and just uh, uh, memorials. So we did specials at these uh, gatherings. So, uh, But before we do the specials, we have to notify the powwow committee that we're going to be doing a special. So they set out time for the family to do their special. So we do specials. What's a special? Uh well, if we're doing a naming ceremony, uh, whoever is going to be named, and usually this is how we do it uh, for namings. Like when we get a traditional name, it's always good to let the public know what your name is. And whoever is doing it, like in our uh, our uh, Blackfoot ways, we the male is always the one that announces it to the community that this is so-and-so, you know, like this is who they are. Uh, and they announce it to the community, this is who they are. And when they do that, those are the specials, like the ceremony, the naming ceremony. And then after we're done the ceremony, then we, we do a giveaway. We pay, you know, the elders, we pay uh, the individuals that uh, conducted the ceremony, and we just do a whole big giveaway to the community. So we do things like that. And there's other specials where they do... Uh, like they'll do a memorial special for like a jingle dress 
special. They'll get all the Jingle Trust dancers together and they'll uh they'll break them down to the four last uh or three last jingle dress dancers and they get first second third place for dancing so those are specials and those uh sometimes it's more of just paying the elders and the people and the drummers that are present so during there's a whole bunch of different kind of specials that happen in a memorial special we'll do a honor song for the individual that has gone on and we ask people to join us and we do that special we the person the uh individual the elder that's uh kind of like uh announcing that special will talk about the individual and all the accomplishments they had while they were on earth and they'll do that and then you'll have a memorial dance for that so those are specials what type of dancer are you right now? Uh, well, I'm two types of dancers. I'm a traditional dancer, and I'm also a, a, a sun dancer. So I do those two kind of dances. A traditional dancer, I'll just do performances like throughout the community here. Or if I want to go to a powwow, I'll go to a powwow and dress up and dance. So it uh, depends on where I'm dancing. But with the sun dance, it's a preparation that I'm going through right now to prepare for the ceremony that we usually have in August. And I'll go and do that. What dancer were you originally? I was always a traditional dancer because I had children and I wasn't going to jump around. <laughs> I'm like Julius, grass dancer, chicken dancer now. <laughs> okay, here's one. I think you might like. You have a house in Calgary, yeah, and you have a bunch of dolls. Which one is your favorite doll throughout all the dolls you have? This is new for me. You have a bunch of dolls? Can, it's can I can I intrigue? What kind of dolls are they? Yeah. Okay, well, it, it, it's a really long story. <laughs> well, okay. okay. Let's get the tidbit version of it. <laughs> okay, because, uh, okay, I come from a family of 14, eh? And I have eight sisters. And out of the eight sisters, I was the only one that had dolls. I had 15 dolls before my mom and dad, like my dad passed. And my mom got into a motor vehicle accident. I had these 15 dolls. And I ended up burning all those dolls to keep us warm. And I never had dolls until... I married my children's, well, lived with my children's dad. And I told him the story of my dolls. And then that Christmas, he got me this doll, this porcelain doll that uh, just looked like one of my favorite dolls that I had when I was a little girl. And then my daughter and her boyfriend at the time got me another doll who looked like my second favorite doll. And then from there, it just kept growing each my three boys the following Christmas all got me each a doll. And it just continued to grow. And I just kept getting these dolls, eh? And uh, my last, well, my second last doll that was given to me by my son, Joel, he gave me this antique doll that was made in probably the 20s and 30s, indigenous doll. And he gave it to me. He said, Mom, here's part of your collection. Wow. He said, it's really old. 
So I have this old doll that he gave me. So it's kind of like precious in a sense. And then I got another doll that was given to me by, I always get them from the LGBTQ. They give me these little dolls from their country and they're cute. So I get have these little cloth dolls or you know, I put them in, in with my collection. Sorry, did you just say you get dolls from the LGBTQ? Yeah, when I do their prayers. When they Aww. raise the flags, yeah, That's I get so dolls. Nice. And Marge got my boss. She got me a doll from Mexico. It's a little cloth doll. You two must be quite the pair because I know that Marge has quite the collection herself. Yeah, yeah. I, I think mine is a bigger collection. Really, <laughs> I do. Marge is just listening to this. Well, you know, and she <laughs> exposing she everyone dolls because she could never find. There were never dolls that looked like her. So then as she got older, she started finding dolls that yeah. were indigenous dolls. and like, I, mine, aren't, uh, mine aren't all indigenous. They're all from all over. Um, and one of the things that I never, I had two dolls that repl- replicated the dolls I had as a child. I've never found any dolls that replicated my dolls from when I was a child until I walked in this store in Calgary. And I, as soon as I walked in there, I could just smell those dolls, you know, like <laughs> the plastic. Yeah. And, and I, I walked in there and I thought, oh my gosh, these are my dolls, you know, that I had when I was little. And then I looked at the price and I said, no, these aren't my dolls. <laughs> <laughs> Five hundred, eight hundred dollars. No, they're not my dolls. <laughs> they were all antique dolls. So that's my doll story. How many languages do you know? Uh, I know three. Can you tell us? Uh, I know English. Makes sense. I'm uh, relearning my traditional language, Blackfoot, and I know French. You know French. Yeah, you know some uh, French. A uh, little bit of French. I'm yeah. learning I'm learning French. Yeah, I am too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I remember French grow uh from school. Mm. Like that was a language that they taught us in school. Comment ça va? Ah, bien. Ah. <laughs> I know who I'm taking to France if I ever come visit. <laughs> <laughs> and were you saying, Dakota, that what is it called? The the French? It's Mitch. Oh, uh, Michif. So it's a yes. it's a mixed language. Right. Um, it's a mixture of I think there's more than just Cree in there. Isn't there English and French? So it's like French, Cree, English, and I think there's some other indigenous languages in there. Really? Because I was talking to Darlene and Darlene Horseman. So she teaches Cree at the Polytechnic, and then also Teresa uh, Teresa Gladru, who's another elder at the. Or who's the elder at the school? And I'm saying some of these words, and they don't know what they are. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, there's another language in there somewhere. I just don't know what it is. But yeah, like a lot of the words are very similar to like Cree words. It's just uh, the pronunciation is different. So like for an example, it's like so grandpa in Cree is mosum, but then in Michif it's just moshom. Like they they oh, changed yeah. the pronunciation, and it was it was a language made to make communication much easier for the communities, and so you could have like a Métis person who was able to communicate with the Quebecois, the French, but then also translate what the French were saying to the Cree, and so they were kind of used as the negotiators during the fur trade. So, it was, oh, that's wow, cool. that's mm-hmm. pretty interesting. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Um, one of the great things about doing podcasting and interviewing is learning open-ended questions. So you would start with, can you tell me a little bit more about whatever? Or can you explain? Because you did that in a couple of your questions. But is there anything that your Nema said that you would want to learn more about? Mostly my language. Like learn more of how like communicating my language so like if i do end up going like to a powwow and then like let's say now is not there at the powwow then i could like speak to the other uh, people in my native language mm-hmm. and because i get to talk behind people's back in my native language <laughs> <laughs> it'll just be me and julius just talking to each other but i think one of the things uh like the good thing about technology they have apps like they have Blackfoot apps from uh, Montana, and Montana is part of our uh, confederacy, the Blackfoot Confederacy. And they also have apps from our Bigani Nation too, and Sikshigai Nation. So they have apps that could help you like speak the language. And I can understand uh, like when you say, you know, talk about people when they're, they're not listening. Cause <laughs> sometimes we do that. Uh, you know, like when people aren't uh, understanding what you're saying and you just say what you want to say. Sometimes me and Julius, we see each other in the halls and we're like, ah, okay, sunny tapi. And then Julius is like, ah, exagapi. <laughs> we, just, we just say that all the time and then people are just so confused what we're saying to each other. <laughs> what are you saying? What is that? Oh, hello. How are you? <laughs> that was going to be something juicy. <laughs> no. Right. And, and then uh, uh, means I'm good. How are you? Right? Yeah. Whenever we do dance, I always see you with your regalia and you have like so much stuff on it. Is there like some history with some of the stuff that you get from your regalia, like gifts or did you buy it yourself? Uh, My regalia is made by me. A lot of it is uh, in memory of people that have gone on. I've got a lot of things that are uh, that I carry with me from people that have uh, gone on to the other side. So uh, as a dancer, as a traditional dancer, I dance for them because they no longer are here. So I just continue to dance for them the best I can dance. Like I had an injury and it's kind of like holding me back a little bit, but I, I will continue to dance. As long as I can walk, I will dance. Do you dance, Brad? Yes, I'm a grass dancer. Are you? I'm really good. I, I've, <laughs> I, I've been told by plenty of people that I'm really good at dancing. I feel like because I want to like get better at it and then I want to transition into a chicken dancer. Can I ask you a question about your Nama? <laughs> Who's your favorite child? Uh, that's content confidential. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the things for you, Brett, that um, you really admire about your Nama when it comes to learning about culture? Like, what do you mean? Well, you just said you want it to be a... Uh, you're a grass dancer, you want to be a chicken dancer. How has um, your Nama been a part of incorporating culture into your upbringing? Uh, well, she's been like telling me more about it. And like every single time we do dance, I always just like feel inspired and like proud to be who I am. And then she she does help me a lot. Like she she gives me like advice before dances. Oh, you should like do a turn with that. Do a circle. You're a grass dancer. You could go in the middle and just keep going around in the middle, and then you could come back out. I was like, oh okay. So I just like take it in and then try to fit it in with the dancing and all that. That's awesome. I don't know. I just wanted to ask you that question because when we were when we were first here on the first evening, I love how you know he. Brett, you pulled out this change purse. And I, at that point, didn't know who Brett was. 
<laughs> we were sitting here and he pulls out a change purse and he says, well, my Nama gave this to me. And I only knew one person in my life who was referred to as Nama. <laughs> <laughs> so I went, who's your Nama? <laughs> Loretta. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Because I, when I saw you last, you were a lot smaller. Um, but what I really thought was incredible was to see the ad- admiration you had for her, even in just the little things you were saying that you wanted to interview her. What is uh, what are some things that you can tell um, other people about why it's important to connect with your elders and connect with your family or or seniors in your life? Yeah, uh, well, death mostly because death is inevitable. You don't have that much time with anybody because they could die young, die old, die in the middle. So you got to try to you have to try to spend as much time because you. You should cherish those moments that you do have because once it's taken away, you cannot have it again. And with all the deaths that happened in my family, I just started getting reminded of that. So then, yeah, I just, I, I've always loved hanging around with my Nama, her wacky adventures that she goes on. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I always keep all this stuff. She gave me a medicine chest thing and it has a bunch of medicine in it. And I, I do carry around my change purse everywhere. And even if someone makes fun of me, I don't care because I like it. Because like people, whenever I pull out my change purse, they always just look at me weirdly. And then I just say, hey, at least I'm not losing my change all over the floor and your wallet. There you go. Yeah. So just enjoy the time that you have with them. That's a great answer. Thanks, Brett. I think it's just really important for people to like this is what we're trying to do here with this podcast is really kind of bridge those relationships for people between generations and why it's important. And how about you, Loretta? What do you love about being a Nama? I think one of the things about being a Nama is like coming from a mother, you know, being a mother and just noticing that all my children are unique. They all have different personalities. And then you start getting into the grandchildren and they are all different in their personalities. Every one of them is so unique. They all have their different personalities. I can't uh, do a like paintbrush, you know, to describe them all because they all have a unique personality. And even like uh, with dancing, like their their parents started off really young. Like all my children started off like in one, two years old dancing. As soon as they could walk, they started dancing and. Now it's the grandchildren that are doing the same thing. And it's really, uh, I get excited making uh, regalia. I haven't really been doing it lately a lot because of my, I feel like I'm, my plate is like falling off. Uh, like whatever I have on my plate, it kind of like is seeping off. But I'm still, uh, you know, moving aside things to be able to do that because I know I have they're really growing. They're really growing fast. And the thing about it is they move over. Like if Brett, uh, like he's wearing right now, he's wearing his dad's uh, grass dance outfit. And he's going to get another one because he's growing out of I his. I right now. I, no, I was, I was like as he dances, cool. when he dances. <laughs> like what, when he Where's dances. When he when he dances, he's got his dad's grass dance outfit, what his dad wore when he was younger than Brett today. Mm. So it 
it's getting smaller on him, so he needs a new regalia. And then whatever is moved on will move on to the other boys because they're they're I'm watching them and I know that their their regalias is get, they're getting smaller. You know, they don't they don't fit their regalias anymore. And even with my girls, they're growing into the uh like the my grandgirls are growing into theirs and like everything moves over. And when I look at the regalias that we still have, there's like a little tiny dress that my uh, 29, I think she's 29, is she 30? Ooh. Or he 30? Braylon? I don't know. When, like, it's about this tiny, you know? And, like, just, I and their moccasins are, like, that small. <laughs> and you know? Can you just, keep all the regalia yes. safe? Oh, that's yeah. so... Amazing. And it just keeps moving, eh? Mm. Like, whoever comes in will, will get a chance and opportunity to wear it. And then I have also grandchildren in Fort McLeod. Hopefully I can meet their needs too as well. Like make sure that everything is passed on. So everything just moves like moves on. That's cool. It was funny though when you were talking about the way you pointed at Brett. I was like, <laughs> what? I was saying the exact thing. I was like. <laughs> <laughs> Dad wears Adidas pants when he's grassed off. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Inama. How do you like rat root? What is rat root? <laughs> I think you might have to explain what rat root is because if I explain it, everyone's going to hate it. I think it's a medicine that uh, a lot of our medicines have its uh, properties and its uh, its power. And I think uh, it's kind of like, uh, this is kind of like similar to uh, years ago, years, years ago years ago uh our traditional people never wanted to pictures to be taken from them because they felt that their souls were being captured their spirits were being taken and they didn't want pictures to be taken about them and that's similar to the medicines it's not something to discuss it's something that is to be in a sense taught and shown so that's all i have to say about it how did you learn to hunt? Uh, just by shooting. I <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't want to be on that trip. <laughs> okay. And the last question for you. What's your favorite dinosaur? I don't even know if they exist. <laughs> uh, that purple one. Bernie? He's <laughs> <laughs> a dinosaur. Yeah, he's a dinosaur. Yeah. Oh my gosh, so as part of this Beogosagun uh, podcast initiative, we're discussing a lot of things around um, serious topics uh, such as like racism or prejudice or ways that we can come together. And I guess I just want to ask everyone here, what are some things that you'd like to learn from, like for you both, for Brett and Dakota? What are some things that you'd like to learn from uh, elders in the community like Loretta when it comes to how we can bridge the gap of understanding and knowledge like what are some things that you'd like to learn i know that's a really deep question but i i got one yeah most of all like their life story and all that mm-hmm. like to get to know them better and all that and to like know what they overcome and overcame and like to hear their teachings that they have for us awesome answer <laughs> <laughs> that's i don't that was really good oh uh, hmm. i get my wiseness from namo yeah there you go <laughs> I guess, like, how to integrate it, like, 
make it seem as a normal thing. Because, like, if we were discussing before the podcast where there's, like, one normal and everything else is kind of weird. Is yes. How, yeah. It was, we are both down, just so you know. Um, Dakota and I are really far down the rabbit hole about oh. anti-racism and white supremacy and different things and understanding how our cultures are very much impacted by these ways of being, right? <laughs> so that's another podcast. <laughs> so, so I guess, like... How to make it more normalized and not so, like, shunned in a way. Perfect word. Like, Honest. learn from each other, you mean? Yeah. Like, how to... I don't know how to describe what I'm trying to... Yeah. What it's in my head. I feel like I understand what you're saying. Are you talking more about, like, if you're looking at um, elders and people who share knowledge, like mm-hmm. teachers, like, you're into anthropology, right? Yeah. Their experiences, like, how to integrate the positives yeah. and their... Is that what you mean? I think so. I don't know. I'm yeah. maybe cut this out. <laughs> <laughs> or are you trying to say like like us treating them differently because they have because they're different from us? Like they do a different style from us, and then you want. I don't know. You don't know what you. I have you no clue ask. what I. I have no clue. That one song. Tell me what you want. What you really really want. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have no clue what I'm trying to ask. <laughs> and. It's a hard question to answer, actually. Like, I, mm-hmm. I know that when I ask it. I'm always learning. That's the thing. I'm learning to unlearn. Yeah. Right? And I learn how to unlearn from elders like Loretta. <laughs> Loretta, you're the best at kicking my ego's ass all the time. Thank you for that, by the way. What do you want to learn from young people? I think one of the things is, uh, like, I if I'm putting myself in a different perspective, in 1970, our, my generation started coming out with, um, we're Indigenous. And it, the word wasn't Indigenous, we're Indians, we're Natives, you know. This is who we are, and nobody's going to tell us who we aren't. We were that generation that came out. And uh, 77, in the 70s, it started in the U.S. The American Indian Movement. <laughs> the American yes. Indian Movement, and it splurred right into Canada because we're right into the into the Dakota area, like South Dakota, into that area, and it came right into our area too as well. But the when the people that uh, had that voice and broke open that voice, it all started. And this is, these are the stories that were told at that generation was the Hopi nation was our prophets. They prophesied what is going to happen to our people, the first people. And they've always done it for generations and generations. And one of their prophecies was when the eagle lands on the moon, our people are going to wake up. And when the eagle, which was the ship, that landed on the moon. Mm-hmm. It was called the eagle. And the first message that came back to Earth, the first message that came back to Earth was the eagle has landed on the moon. And from then there, then we started coming up and we're saying we're indigenous. We're wearing braids. I always wore braids. I was so indigenous. I didn't want to shift. I didn't want to marry anything but indigenous but ended up with a non-indigenous man and he kind of came to my side you know like it was just indigenous like and then teaching my children these are our ways we're going to follow our ways like it's just kind of like just implementing that so when we talk about that thing you know we can go 
to the negative, but I chose not to, you know, like I chose that path of, of sharing what, in a sense, what our, our teachings are based on. And that's based on compassion and a, based on humility. It's based on, uh, basically what creators about and it's like the beauty and the love and the compassion that is shown to humanity that is what we are based on those are the gifts that we're given and those are the gifts that we freely share you know and that's the path that i chose to walk instead of going on to the other side you know like going and causing a chaos and you know wars and whatever else i didn't choose that i chose the other way and when i think about it and i look back and i think about it my great-grandfather was from the other side of the world he was non-indigenous he married my great-grandmother my my father comes from that lineage like he was from that area you know that side and he he was the one that created us. If he didn't come together, I wouldn't be here, like with my great-grandmother. So he was Caucasian. And all his children came into this world and were all kind of separated with the treaties. And his only daughter was in Calgary when the treaties were signed. And she was considered a Métis because of how she looked. She looked like you guys. We look really... Métis. And a handsome. Yeah. I, I'm not Métis. I'm Blackfoot. Did you just think you were canceled? I look yeah. very handsome. <laughs> <laughs> look at it. I look at a mirror every day. I'm like, dang, who's that handsome man right there? <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Beaguskan Podcast. One nation, one tribe. If you'd like to support the youth, it really helps if you subscribe and tell everyone you know about the podcast. You can also visit our website. The link is available in our show notes.